Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, February 13th, 2022. Today's sermon will be from Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter, <clears throat> chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 1 to 10. 5, 1 to 10. And I, I'm, I'll mention this in the, a little bit later, but I want to go ahead and tell you up front that verses 7 to 10, um, I, I'm not going to hit everything there because we're going to come to that um, in the coming two chapters. And so you'll be thinking, wow, he should have said that, or wow, he should have said So just know that it's coming. And so I'm, it, it's going to be very general in, in that way today. And I'll remind you again during the sermon. But let, let me read verses 1 to 10 of chapter 5. And then we will pray, and then we'll get started. <clears throat> I'll go ahead and give you the sermon title, so you can be thinking about that as we read it. It's just very plain and simple. The qualifications for the high priest. And so let's read chapter 5, starting in verse 1. For every high priest... Chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. To offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever after the, after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come and we pray to You today in Jesus' name. We have a great high priest who sits at Your right hand and rules even now till all His enemies be made His footstool. Because of our great high priest, not Aaron, but the Lord Jesus Christ, we, we pray with great boldness. And so today, I pray that you would give us grace. Time of need. It's always a time of need. I pray that Jesus would be lifted up. I pray that he would increase, that we would decrease, that I would decrease. Father, in spite of me, I pray that, you, pray that you would work. I am, I feel even like, not like a high priest, but even like Aaron. He was taken from among men. And so even myself, Father, being taken from among the congregation as with the other elders. And, and uh, I know my weaknesses and I know my sins even as I preach and as I teach. Father, help us today. Pray that by Your Spirit, even as we were reminded at the end of the Sunday school lesson that Christ is with us, by Your Spirit, I pray that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear and that Your name would be lifted up. Um, give us grace, Father, this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Just this week in my, in my quiet times, I read about Aaron, the high priest. And if you guys, those of you are following along the discipleship reading plan, you, you know where you're with me. 
In Exodus 28 and following, I was amazed at all the details. Um, I was just struck with, with Aaron, the first high priest. Well, Moses was the, the f- first high priest, but Aaron was the official high priest, start of the priesthood. But both of them were, were priests, for sure. But I was just amazed at the way they dressed Aaron and the Levitical priesthood. Both Aaron and his sons were, were required to, to wear the most elaborate clothing. And I'm not one, as you know, you can look, I got my hiking shoes on this morning. And, uh, and I don't know if I'm the best dresser. Kristen could point that out. Um, she's helped me tremendously, though, through the years. But when you think about what the, these priests were, were clothed in and what care went into that from the Lord commanding them to make such clothing... They, they, they used the most skilled tailors. In fact, I believe they were gifted, talented there in their work and, and, and appointed by God to do such work. And so these priests were made with the most glorious uh, display. And they were meant to picture something. They were meant to picture the beauty and glory of God as they entertained, as they did their work. This clothing included, included a breast piece. Uh, an ephod in the, in the Old Testament there is used. It's like a, an outer garment there. There was a robe. There was a coat. Um, there was a, a turban, a sash. There was even special underwear. And these, these garments were made with gold and blue and purple yarns and woven linens. The, the ephod was, was, again, an outer garment more like an apron. I put one on yesterday to, to cook. They put that on, and, and that, that, that particular piece was, was, was beautiful, and it was covered with stones, onyx stones. The, the breastplate was there as well. It hung on the outside of the ephod. And into the breastplate were 12 different kinds of jewels. I can't imagine just the, the greatness there and the beauty. The turban that went on the head was made of gold. And I am barely describing the beauty and glory of the clothing of the priest. But how the priest dressed was only just one of the qualifications that the priest had in order to enter into the the Holy of Holies and to perform his duties. There was so many other things the priest had to do, whether it was washing, whether it was to bring the right sacrifice, and all these different kinds, whether to burn the incense. All of these things that the priest did were there. And so this was only one of the qualifications. Well, this week... Our text gives us an opportunity to consider three specific qualifications of the earthly high priest. And so that's going to be verses 1 to 4, okay? Then in verses 5 to 10, we're going to shift because the earthly high priest was a picture of who? The heavenly one. So that's going to give us our pictures. That's going to give us our, our, our qualifications there. Then we're going to move to our heavenly high priest in the last verses there. And we're going to see the exact same three qualifications. So that will help us today, I think, see this. So here's the qualifications. I'm going to go ahead and give them to you from our text. Number one, big word, but we've used it before, solidarity. And I'll explain that. But I'm using S's to help us... Remember three S's for today. And I took one of my words from a commentator that I got. Solidarity. Two, sympathy. Which, by the way, I think is, is coming up one of the next um, Sunday school lessons coming up next week. Sympathy. And then third, selection. So solidarity, sympathy, and selection. And so let's begin. Solidarity. When I think of the word solidarity, I think of a group of protesters standing on the street who may be demanding better work conditions or higher wages. And when they go on strike, they join together. And so that's how we, one of the ways we use that word solidarity. They join together in agreement with one another. They are the same in this regard. They all stand together with their picket signs and they stand outside. This is what we want. We stand together. In fact, if someone wants to go to work 
and jump over the picket line, you could run into some serious problems or issues because they're saying, you're not standing with us. We're not, you're not having solidarity with us. That's one of the ways we use that word in, in our culture. So in, in the same kind of way, our text says that the high priest is one with us. This is in reference to his humanity. In other words, the high priest must be a, a man. So he, that's how we can say he has solidarity with us. We agree. We, he is one with us. We are the same in that way. So we couldn't, that's why just an animal or a, even a, an angel or a celestial being could never be the high priest in the Old Testament because they are not like us. They do not have solidarity with us. They do not share the same humanity. And this is, this is fundamental to being a priest. Look at verse 1. For every high priest chosen from whom? From among men. Is appointed to act on, on behalf of who? On behalf of men in relation to God to offer their gifts and their sacrifices for sin. So this truth is in regards to Aaron. And we'll see later on with Christ as well. And so this truth was with Aaron and all the following high priests that, that came after him. And their ability to represent, to make offerings there as they did, to represent the people, was, was, it was, they had to be a man. And so, I'm going to come back to that later when we think of Christ. But this solidarity, this oneness with humanity, qualified them to be the high priest and to do the work of the priest. So that's, that's one qualification, solidarity. Number two, sympathy. The high priest has sympathy with his people. Look at verses 2 and 3. And we'll come back to this more with Christ and get more application. So these first points are shorter. But look at verses 2 and 3. The high priest, he can deal gently. Well, there's a, there's, if those of you are in Sunday school this morning, there's... I haven't done the word search on that, but there's the gentle, gent, dealing gently with the people. Wow, what, how fitting is that? But he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. So the root meaning of deal gently here in the Hebrew, is really to have compassion on someone else or to bear with someone else. Like when you come alongside, when you go to your friend who's struggling or someone has a death in the family or there's something major that's happened, you come alongside and you say, here I am. And we know what that's like. Here I am, but how can I help you? How can you talk? How can I, I pray with you to come alongside and bear in our weaknesses? A person could, in the Old Testament could not do the duties of the high priest if he could not enter into the feelings of those whom he represented. Again, an angel, they long to look into such things. They don't know what it's like to be a man, to take on flesh in that way. So an angel or a celestial being is not qualified because they are not like us. I think back to Aaron. Think about Aaron not the, any Aaron we might know, but back to Moses and his brother Aaron. And Aaron was the, was the appointed in his line, the Levitical line there. Aaron was the first high priest. Who was he, though, at that time before he became a priest? He was a Hebrew slave. And the experience of, experiences of the people were his. He grew up in a Hebrew home with Hebrew custom, customs. He had the same problems as any other young man growing up in slavery. In and of himself, he was no one special, for sure. He struggled with the same sins of his brethren. I'm sure when he was called as a high priest later, he did not have the attitude of, I am better than you. I, I hate to think about someone else's sin and read someone else's heart because I know my own and the tendencies that I have. And he had the same kinds of tendencies. But I, uh, generally speaking, I'm sure he didn't think, oh, I'm better than you because God called him out of that. And so in, in Egypt, 
I think he certainly understood and was capable of great sympathy. I think that we get this truth when we see this picture. You know what it's like growing up in your household. Think about your own household, particularly fathers, mothers, and even as children. We know our parents. We know our siblings. But in our own households, I I can only speak just for mine only. Don't worry. I'm not going to say anything. I always run my illustrations by Kristen now a lot of times, or my kids, because I get them in trouble. But I don't do that as much as I used to in previous years. But I know my family, and Kristen knows our family, and so do you. You know your family. You know their tendencies. You know husbands. You know the joys of your wife, wives. You know the joys of your husbands. Your kids, you know their joys. You know what they're like. You know what they do. You know what makes them happy. When I think of my own family also, I know our struggles. We all have struggles. I know our weaknesses. I know our sins. I can point out my own sins, much less. And I know, but I don't know a lot of your sins as well, but I know the sins in my family. And even as a church family, we can say the same thing. We've been together how many years? Many of us for 14 years. Um, coming up here real soon, I think. And so we know each other as elders. We're six of us. We, we know our sins, but we also know the sins of the body. Um, we know a lot of times what you struggle with because you've come to us. And we've come to you. <clears throat> a lot of times I think in... I hope we don't sin as a church by overlooking things, but I think we certainly do. We certainly do. Um, and, and, and knowing your sins, brothers and sisters, is, is, is just something that, we, that God has allowed us to do and, and to understand. <clears throat> and I think that we are able to sympathize, to bear with you, to be compassionate with you because as just from an elder's perspective, you know, we ourselves have the same weaknesses. I, I don't think that we come to a couple minutes late on Sunday mornings usually, so we can't bear with you on that one, but your real sins and real issues, we, we can bear with you. We know what it's like. And I think this is the point of the text, but it goes even further than that. Look again at the second part of verse 3. <coughs> Excuse me. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. So before the Aaron, the high priest, entered into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, what did he do? He offered sacrifices for his family, um, I, think, I think back to, to Job, even after, when he offered sacrifices for his family. Well, the high priest did this because he was a sinner. His family were also sinners. So he offered sacrifices for them. And then he would go into the Holy of Holies and, and, and sprinkle the blood there in the Holy of Holies. And he would do that for the, for the people in general. Aaron was a sinner, just like the rest of the people. So he was able to sympathize with the people in regard to weakness and in regard to sin. So it wasn't just that he was a a man like them. He also knew they were sinners. And so this is very important to remember as we'll come back to that when we come back to Christ. But that's the second qualification. So the first one, big word, solidarity. Second one, oh, here we have, I'm even, excuse me, (coughs) sympathy. Sorry about that. My voice is going a little bit this morning. But sympathy, and so third qualification, another S. This is the one I got from a commentator, Kent Hughes. Selection. The high priest is called or selected by God. So this great position does not belong to just anyone. Moses was appointed by God. Aaron was appointed by God as well. Look at verse 4. 
No one takes this honor for himself, but only when he when called by God, just as Aaron was. All of Israel's priests were appointed by a sovereign God who knew what he was doing. Do you remember what happened in the desert with a man named Korah? Ever heard that word before? Korah. This gentleman, and the scripture says this man and his family, 250 leading men, chiefs of Israel, they rose up and they challenged Moses, saying that they, they came to Moses and said, we also have the right to be a high priest. Thank you, honey. You look very nice this morning. So the sons of Korah, they challenged Moses. They challenged Aaron. They challenged his priesthood, their, their priesthood. And so you know what happened, though, to them? Moses, this is a long confrontation, and they come together, and God says, I have chosen Aaron as my high priest. Actually, it was back, back to Moses, but the priesthood in general. I am the one who is cho- choosing them. And so what happens to Korah and all these chiefs? The ground is swallowed up. It swallows them up and they perish and they die right there. So all the people would know God is the one who selects the high priest. And then the next, the very next day or that day when they perished, Moses says, all right, Twelve leaders from Israel, you bring your staffs here, including Aaron, and we'll put it in the tent of meeting overnight. And the next morning, what happened to all those staffs? Do you remember? Well, nothing happened to 11 of them, but what happened to one of them? Flowers grew out of this staff. And then, can you imagine almonds, fresh almonds, also ready to pluck and eat off of the staff? So, in other words, Aaron is the one. His is the staff I have, I have put forward. I, I, this, is ha- this has happened throughout the Scriptures. Many years later, we see King Saul. He tries to take on a priestly role there when Samuel doesn't show up for battle. And what happens to him? Well, he loses his kingship, doesn't he? Later on, King Uzziah, if you remember him, he used the censer of a priest in the wrong way. And what happened to him? He became a leper for the rest of his life. And that's in 2 Chronicles 26. The author's point here is very clear. Only the one God appoints can be high priest. So, here we see three qualifications of the earthly high priest. He has solidarity with the people he represents. He's a man just like them. Second, he is able to sympathize. And by the way, that's where we're going next week, particularly in verses 7 to 10. He's able to sympathize with them. He knows their weaknesses. He knows their sins because he has the same ones. And finally, he was selected by God to the position of high priest. So with this in mind, let's move to the second part of our text. As we see move, we shift now to our heavenly priest. You know what? We're going to see the exact same qualification. So your notes and your thinking, if you're thinking about this, the same three we're going to do in reverse order, but we're going to see the exact same three for Christ. And you know what? We should not be surprised at this because we know, and you heard me say, and we know this as, as, as many of us are mature Christians who've looked at the Word, we know that when we read the Old Testament, these are shadows and types, and they point to... The antitype, who is Christ. They point to the one who fulfills all of these things. And it's just amazing, brothers and sisters. I love the Old Testament more today than I ever have. And really what we're preaching, what I'm preaching in Hebrews is the Old Testament. And all he's doing is showing that Christ is superior by doing, showing all of these people, all of these persons, and all of these events, and all these things that happen, every single one of them point to Christ. That's what, our, that's what we do. And really, that, I hope that's what I do in my preaching. And my dad used to say, John, you preach the same thing every week. And in this regard, I do. I do. I do not want to preach myself or 
other things. I want to preach Christ because when we go to Him, as we saw this morning, there we will find rest for our souls. Such a, such a good Sunday school this morning. And so there's so much here in verses 5 to 10. And as I said earlier, we're going to spend time there next week. Let me just go ahead and prepare us just a little bit. Some of the difficulties. He offered up prayers and supplications, loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. What does that mean? We're not going to hit that today. He was heard because of his reverence. We're not going to hit that as well. He learned obedience through what he suffered. Those are difficult. Those are difficult texts. So we're going we're gonna, to, I don't know what I'm going to say next week, but I'm going to camp out there this week. So we're going to get there. But for today, I'm going to be very brief and general as we see the same qualifications in reverse order. So here are the qualifications again in reverse order. Selection, sympathy, and solidarity. So back to Selection. Aaron, as Aaron was selected by God for the position of high priest, so was the son. It's pretty simple. Look at verse 5. So also Christ did not exalt himself. He didn't do as Korah did, though he had every right to do so as the son of God. But he did not exalt himself to be made a high priest. It's amazing to me. But he was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Now, we must remember in our context of Hebrews, Hebrews is, is written to show the superiority of the new covenant compared to the old. And the writer does this by showing how Christ is superior. In fact, if you'll hear me over and over and over again, you'll, those words come up, that word comes up all the time. Superior. So when you read Hebrews, superior, Christ is superior. The New Testament, the New Covenant is superior to the Old Covenant. Not New Testament, but New Covenant. You should hear that over and over and over again. Now, the Old Testament, again, they were shadows and types that were there until the one who would come and fulfill them. <clears throat> and so, Aaron and Christ, they are not... Apples to apples. Now, generally speaking, they can be, as Christ was 100% man. But they are not apples. They're not on the same page. In fact, you can't even say that Aaron is on the floor and Christ is on the roof. You can't even say that Aaron is on the floor and Christ is, as far as our Hubble telescope and the new one we've got, can see. Because the, the difference is infinite between Aaron and and Christ, as we will see in the coming days. But Christ is infinitely superior. And we see this. Look at, <clears throat> in our text here, the author quotes Psalm 2, verse 7. And that's just here, Hebrews 5, verse, verse 5 here, verse, verses 5 and 6. He says, you are my son, today I have begotten you. <clears throat> now, if you go back and you read Psalm 2... All right, those of you who are in our discipleship group, um, Psalm 2, you should quote this. Psalm 2, 6, uh, could anybody do it? Um, I've set, as for me, I've set my king, where? On Zion, my holy hill. So that whole psalm is about setting his king. Not a priest, but a king on his holy hill. And then... Look here with me at verse 6. <clears throat> As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is a reference to Psalm 110, verse 4. And here we see the first mention of this in the book of Hebrews with this great king of Salem, who is also a priest. If you go back to Genesis 14, the one that was there, king of Salem as he met um, <clears throat> as he as he met Abraham and blessed him and and we're going to get into that so I'm skipping over some of this because all of chapter 7 is all about Melchizedek but with these words our point here is that we see both the calling of God upon the son as both being a, a king and a priest and so already you should see 
a little higher of a position than with Aaron. Aaron was just a priest. But Jesus is the king. And we know that from already Hebrews 1. Where is he sitting now? He's sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high. And he isn't merely an earthly king. He is the eternal king. And he isn't merely an earthly priest. He is the eternal priest. And so we see this in comparison with Melchizedek. Hebrews 7.3 says this, He is without father or mother or genealogy. That's Melchizedek. Having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But he resembles the Son of God and he continues a priest forever. Therefore, Jesus is both king and priest. But our truth is that this calling is by God. Jesus did not seek this position for himself. I think, finish this, this truth here, but I think of Philippians 2, verses 6 and 7. Probably one of the most quoted verses in my preaching, for sure. Speaking of Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, when in Jesus, in all of his glory, in his essence, before he took on flesh with all of his glory, and he said, I will, I will, I will humble myself, I will take on flesh. So he didn't see it as something, I want to hang on to my, my money. I want to hang on to my house. I want to hang on to the things that I've got. My bank account. Well, his bank account was glory. And he didn't want to hang on to it for our sakes. So he says, he did not account, account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. This is his incarnation, his humiliation as we've been using that word a lot lately. So the only goal of the Son was to glorify the Father. But He was called, selected by God. Second qualification, again, the word sympathy. Look at verses 7 and 8. Again, we're going to break these down more next week. In verses 7 or 8, In the days of His flesh, that's, that's the days of His flesh, Jesus offered up prayers, supplications, with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. In these verses, we see the humanity of Jesus and his experiences as the basis of his great sympathy for us today. The days of his flesh, that refers to his time of incarnation. His time took on flesh, was born of the virgin, died on the cross, okay? Rose again, but that particular time is the days of the flesh. However, I think if you take this into context with Hebrews, I believe these verses, as we'll see again next week, speak particularly of his prayers in the Garden of Gethsemane and his prayers on the cross, but particularly in the garden. Do you remember what happened when he prayed? Sweat turned to drops of blood that came out because of his great anguish as he considered the cross. Now there's great mystery here, and there will continue to be great mystery, but I do not believe personally it was his own physical death that caused him such great emotion. Of course, as a man, he looked forward to death. He, didn't, he had great emotions that, that we can't even think or imagine. Of course, he wasn't looking forward to death itself. And he wasn't looking forward to the suffering physically and the cross. But I think his greatest cause of anguish, his, his cries and his tears, came because of his work as a high priest who was getting ready to offer up himself as an offering for God. This is what priests do. This is the main thing that priests do. They, they offer up. And I think what caused him all this anguish and grief and the drops of blood 
was due that, to, to the fact that he was thinking about what was going to happen on the cross. Because he was thinking of the great wrath and anger and punishment. And especially the, I, it's such a mystery, but the turning away of God's face from him as he took our sin upon himself. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made him to be sin for us. That doesn't mean Christ was a sinner. We know that's not the case, but he became sin. Galatians 3.13 maybe explains this a little bit different, a little bit better. He became a curse for us. So when he died on the cross, our sin, the sins of his people were laid upon his back. And so, on the cross, He was punished in our place. Not for His own sins, but for our sins. So I think that, that generally speaking, this is what was causing Him the great anguish. Today, as Christians, we are here because of our great High Priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as He laid down His life, a curse for us, on the cross. That's what he did. And this was something that me and you will not have to experience. We do not lay down our lives on the cross. <clears throat> now, yes, we think of Christ in the days of his flesh. Verse 7 tells us he was just like us. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He was tired. He slept. He wept. He felt what we feel. He prayed and he cried out to God in times of need. I think that's, that's the point here. All the things in this life he experienced, just like us, yet without sin. But, here's where we must depart. He went further than we will go by becoming a curse for us. And in this way, he is more able to sympathize with us than we can ever know. I can barely scratch the surface of our Lord's sympathy towards us. I think part of the author's point here is that, yes, the earthly high priests were able to sympathize because they had weakness and they were sinners like the rest of the people. But with the Lord Jesus, He was without sin. And because they, the, the Old Testament priests, were sinners, they could not sympathize with complete compassion as the Lord Jesus can with us. I don't have time to recall all of the imperfections. If you were to go do a study and look at the high priest from Moses to Aaron all the way down through these high priests and the priest, priesthood in general, you would find great imperfections. And we, I'm not going to have time to do that. Just one example, Eli. Hannah was crying out her heart before God. And he comes over, he wasn't very sympathetic, was he? He says, are you, are you drunk, madam? We could go on and on about the imperfections of the high priest, earthly high priesthood. We're not going to do that this morning. But, but think about it. When we think about Christ's ability to sympathize with you and with us. Because of who He is, because He is sinless, and because of what He's done on the cross. Think about it. Back in chapter 4, verse 13. Look there with me. The Word, the essential Word who is Christ, no creature is hidden from His sight. We are not hidden from His sight. But we are all naked and we are exposed before Him. Exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. Brothers and sisters, He knows the depths of our hearts because He is our Creator. He knows how far our sin can take us. He knows our motives. He knows the deep things of your heart. And because of this, He is able to sympathize with us. But you know what? We are not like this. <clears throat> Think about it like this. Think how often the sins of somebody else bothers you. Does that ever happen to you? Does somebody else's sins bother you? That, I mean, 
just jump back to your family. That, honey, some of the words I say are not sins. <laughs> so, but sins. I sin against Kristen sometimes. I want to. Husbands, we do that with our wives. Wives, we do that. Children, we sin against our parents. When they ask us to do something in obedience, we do not obey them. We sin against our teachers. We, we sin against one another in our family. Much less when you get out to the workplace. It just goes on and on and on. But think how the sins of someone else bothers you. This is like the, the, having the, the plank in the eye. Jesus' parable, we're not going to go there. But how patient are you when your spouse sins against you? How patient are you when your friend sins against you? How compassionate are you when someone speaks evil of you or puts you down? Especially from someone in your own family? Or even, what if it were to happen here at Grace? Has that happened before? Someone sinned against another? Someone's questioned someone's motive? Whatever the case might be. Of course it's happened. I think, generally speaking, our very sins, or our, us being sinners, makes us more impatient and more severe to the sins of others, generally speaking. A.W. Pink says this, Our vanity finds the vanity of others intolerable because we are vain we find the vanity in others intolerable our pride finds the pride of others excessive blind to the guilt of our own peculiar sins we are shocked with another's sins and we make that abundantly clear with our mouths often as we do not consider the offensiveness of our own sins in the sight of God. Brothers and sisters, our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, hates sin and he knows what judgment it requires because he, he bore it. We, we, we do not have to bear it as he took our sins upon himself. He bore it. So he knows what the judgment of God is like. We do not and we will not forever our high priest does, which makes him even more able to sympathize with us. He knows the weaknesses of our flesh, and he knows the difficulties that we have. Therefore, our application is simple. Look unto him. Chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Brothers and sisters, the ones who are most kind and most loving and most compassionate and most the, the ones who look and are kind and tender-hearted to others are the ones who have gone to Christ the most. And look unto him who is able to give us sympathy. And so if you're sitting there and, and like I say, we know one another. And you're, you're finding yourself not to be. Very rarely are you sympathetic. Well, how often do you go to Christ and think about these qualities? Maybe not very often. So I would challenge you. Maybe you don't know what it, at, at all it is to, to come to Christ. I would say, come to Christ first. He is a Savior. He is the great high priest. And He is there and He will not cast you out. There is no sins that you have committed that He will not forgive you if you are repentant. That's the, this morning from the class, I was thinking, come to me all your labor, heavy laden, I'll give you rest. My, my burden is easy. My yoke is... or I, I, I mix it all up. Burden easy, yoke is light. But <clears throat> the one that He receives who finds His burden easy and light is the repentant one, the Father, I praise you that you've showed yourself to these little children. Those are the ones who come to Christ. And so I would urge you to do that today. Finally this morning, last qualification as we look unto Christ. We see His solidarity. So in reverse order, selection again. Sympathy, solidarity. 
We also see this in verses 7 and 8. It's, it's coming out. But as the high priest was taken from among men, so the Son of God took on flesh. Like us, there's a solidarity. He dwelt among us. He was like us in every way. He was one with us except for sin. He offered up prayers, supplications with loud cries and tears. Do you do that as a, as a believer? Do you, do you go to your closet and close the door and pray in loud cries and tears? We often see this as a part of his life. This was common for him. Throughout his life in the flesh, God answered his prayers. He learned obedience through suffering. And then at the right time, because of his solidarity with us, he was truly able to be our high priest. He was able to do what the earthly priests could not do. They could only offer the blood of, of what? When they went into the Holy of Holies, what do they offer? The blood of bulls and goats. And this for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. But when you think about our great high priest, what did Jesus offer? What did he, who, who did he offer? What did he offer? He offered himself. Look at verses 9 and 10. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. You see, the high priest could never enter into the heavens and become the source of eternal salvation, as we saw last week. Only the high priest, the Lord Jesus, the eternal high priest, could do this. Look at, look at back at, at verse 1 again, chapter 5. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men. There's a solidarity again. In relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So the Old Testament high priest offered gifts and sacrifices. Let's think about this. This is how we're going to end this morning. But think about the, 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 the Old Testament high priest. And all the types of sacrifices there were. He brought incense, grain sacrifice, grain offerings, wine offerings, all different kinds of, of peace offerings. If you go back and read all these offerings and things the high priest had to do when the high priest came into the Holy of Holies. And he brought various kinds of prayers. And then he brought the blood of different kinds of birds. He brought the blood of goats, of lambs, of bulls. This is the general work of the high priest in the Old Testament in offering up gifts and sacrifices. He was dressed, as we saw from the beginning, in the most beautiful clothing. In the absolute best way he knew how, commanded by God, this priest offered gifts and sacrifices in his duties. But what did Christ offer? He offered himself. He shed his own blood. Son of God, the image of the invisible God. Think about His essence, the exact imprint of His nature, the living Word, the Creator and Sustainer of the world, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, took on flesh. And He offered Himself. And that's what this verse says, being made perfect. <laughs> he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. What solidarity He had with us. This is why He came. So how much greater is His calling or His selection by God? How much greater is His sympathy? How much greater is His solidarity towards us? Today we have a great high priest, brothers and sisters, who's passed through the heavens and he will forever be our high priest. And I've never really thought about this, but when Jesus took on flesh, when he died, what did he do? 
after he died, three days later. He rose again. And he was given what? New body. But when he appeared to his disciples, his disciples still recognized him, did they not? They knew he was. Unless he covered himself so they couldn't, but they knew he was because he, he had flesh. He's taken on a new body. This means that the body doesn't go away forever. So he always is there beside, as the Bible tells us in words that we can get it better, he is at the right hand of God making inter- intercession for his people because of who he is and what he has done. So how much greater his selection, how much greater his sympathy, how much greater his solidarity. Therefore, for us today, what do we do? We worship him. That's what we do. So I will encourage you to think about this, these truths this week. And as you do, and as you have your quiet times every day, and as you read the Word every day, and as you think about Christ every day, consider Him as our great high priest as we compare the earthly with the heavenly. And worship Him this week more than you ever have. And I pray that through this and in the next week, really pray for the sermon because the words are difficult next week. And the English really don't do some of it justice in the translation and some of the difficulties there. And so pray for me as well this week as I, I do my best to bring this next week and hopefully give us a good meal um, for the sermon. But this week, let's worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we come before you at the end of these words, the end of this time. Today, as we normally do, you've been gracious to us all of these years to allow us to continue opening the Word, whether it's me or one of the other elders or someone else. And You're good to us. Father, I pray that you would help us to see the solidarity He is one with us and the sympathy that He's able to show us and your great sovereign calling upon His life. That was unlike, it was like, but unlike any other. Help us to worship the Lord Jesus Christ today. Give us grace, give us eyes to see and ears to hear that we, that we might find Christ more beautiful today and that it might be applied to our lives this week as we worship Him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove. You can also join us at the South Row NYMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.